Welcome to the Notion Club podcast. This is the satirical episode about satire. In today's episode, we explore satire, both sincerely and satirically. First, we will have a conversation with a student of music at a top-tier university who managed to pass off fake and satirical essays pretending to be real scholarship for an entire semester and not only passed, but passed with flying colors. Is the modern university a joke? Is woke scholarship nonsensical and absurd? This is episode 24 of season 2 of The Notion Club. Joining me for, I should note, a sincere conversation is one of my colleagues and friends who, for the time being, will remain nameless. Uh, You might say we'll keep on the mask of anonymity, uh, lest the university thought police hunt him down. He's a student of music at a university, and long story short, and we'll leave it to him to tell the long story, he managed to pass off mock essays as real scholarship for an entire semester. Afterward, I consult a professor of musicology herself, an avowed ally of wokeness, to add her comment on the situation. Is the modern university a joke? Is woke scholarship nonsensical and absurd? Finally, I have a brief call with Professor Albert Loomley, uh, himself something of an Edwardian relic, to bring everything to balance with some good old-fashioned stiff upper lip priggishness. But first, let's hear from my friend and colleague. In a history class this past semester, every assignment he turned in was a fake, each one satirizing the absurdity of progressive scholarship, all of which was subsequently lapped up by his professors who considered him an ally to the revolution and therefore worthy of a passing grade. Thanks so much for joining me. So why don't you just go ahead and tell the story about what gave you the idea to do this, and then then maybe we can discuss some of the, the absurdities of higher education. Well, I was doing my second semester of music history at the institution that I go to, and I had done the first semester, and it was a pretty straightforward class. You know, I learned about everything from uh, medieval chant all the way to kind of the early Baroque period. And then in the second semester, I was anticipating much of the same type of thing to take place. But then when I opened my syllabus, I noticed that all of the materials that we would be reading in the class were basically revisionist opinion pieces, if you will, about the events in music history that made everything about the struggles of minorities and transgender, LGBT, you know, you name it. And I thought to myself, wow, it's interesting how every piece we're reading on the syllabus is written by the professor. And then I realized that this professor was one of the most famous, is one of the most famous musicologists of the day. She's widely respected for all of her work in music history and her her scholarship surrounding many of the alleged ideologies that apparently are present in many of the pieces we consider canonical in the Western canon of music. And so I then took a look at what are 
requirements would be for the course. And so I noticed that there was no exam to be found. There were no midterm exams, no final exams. The only assignments for the course were 10 responses. They were called responses and two papers. So this was a total of 100 points for the entire course. And all the responses, as the professor explained, were to be expounding upon anything that we discussed in class, anything at all. And we could basically say anything that we wanted. And not only that, but no matter what you turn in, we're going to grade high, she said. And so, of course, I thought to myself, ha, huh, this is an excellent opportunity <laughs> because now not only can I do whatever I want, whatever I want will be worth at least a B grade. Mm -hmm. So I decided to take advantage of such a ridiculous system. When it came time to submit our first response, I thought to myself, why not just replicate the type of scholarship that we're reading? Right. That seems like something that every student should aspire to do is to be like their professor. Right. <laughs> so I decided to write something so woke that the woke gods and goddesses themselves wouldn't even be able to grasp how woke it is. So I composed the most woke and 100% satirical piece of writing and submitted it for a grade. Lo and behold, I received a four out of five. Now, I thought for certain that the TA that was grading my assignment would have known that this was absolute mockery based on what outrageous claims it made, which unfortunately were really no more outrageous than many of the claims made by the professor. But I guess that's kind of the point. I mean, um, so to, to reference one of the great satires of the modern era, uh, you took it up to level 11. <laughs> that's right. 11 out of 10. Yeah. So with the assignment being so well received, I decided that I had to go on. And so I completed satirical responses for all 10 of my short response assignments and my two eight-page papers. And, you know, it was really fun because I sat down and I couldn't wait to write these assignments because I got to pick what I wanted to make fun of next. It was really, really a joy. But, you know, I finished the course and... I realized I should never be able to do this. Mm -hmm. This being basically mock the, the class and finish with an 89. Right. I mean, what, what's, <laughs> what is the issue here? Well, it, I think it runs pretty, pretty deep. And I think you'd agree. Yeah. Um, so going back to that first assignment, because I, I remember you, you sent it to me and it was a joke. I don't think you had decided even at that point whether you, you were going to turn it in or not, because it was so outrageous, you know, so over the top. And, you know, I thought, obviously, there's no possible way any TA, any scholar would read this and not be turned off by how mocking it is. But the response, so the reason why you got a four out of five was not because they knew. It was because they, so their comment, if I remember right, they said, essentially, I really appreciate your enthusiasm about these things, but your tone is a little irreverent. Yes, the, the TA said, I appreciate your engagement with the discussions of sexuality from the class and readings, and your attention to narratives of oppression is important. That said, I'm also confused by this response. <laughs> well, 
That's no shock. Mm -hmm. And then she goes, we want to be colloquial in these responses, but not so informal that you come across as irreverent. So it wasn't even about what I said. It was about my tone. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so, so this this is absolutely fantastic. The, the TA, who I'm pretty sure the TAs are typically PhD candidates. Correct. So the PhD candidate who's TAing for this class is confused because... They, he completely agrees with what's being said, but doesn't realize that it's satire. And so how do they make sense of the tone? They call it irreverent. Now, I have to say, to use the word irreverent as a criticism is pretty rich considering one of the things that they uh, require you to watch is a scene from an opera where Salome... Uh, essentially, uh, it's a love scene between Salome and the severed head of john the baptist uh you can't get much more irreverent than that that is empowering of course but this tone is is just completely irreverent even though your enthusiasm for the cause is to be admired and of course i decided to include that severed head example in one of my responses because i just couldn't resist <laughs> of course not so okay so just to recap uh you took advantage not just of the bizarre grading system which goes to show how how much education is no longer about education or rigorous scholarship it's has everything to do with indoctrination so long as you're being indoctrinated so long as you're parroting or regurgitating the right ideology then you're then you're passable and that's precisely what you did i mean essentially that's for right. every assignment even the 10 page paper at the very end of the course it was just a complete spewing of utter satirical nonsense. Yeah, I might as well have actually regurgitated. You kind of did. So I kind of did. And and you passed. And you passed with a B plus. A B plus, yeah. <laughs> and this TA that responded to my first response said, please let me know if you'd like to talk more about my comments or this topic. My email and Zoom are always open. And I will say I was tempted. Mm. So I'd like to hear some of the absurd things that you wrote that passed as acceptable, if not admirable, pieces of scholarship in this class. But first, um, having done this and gotten through the entire uh, course, obviously you and I both have been very aware of how corrupt education has become, but actually having done this and sort of tested the corruption just to see how how infested and diseased it's become. What conclusions have you drawn? What realizations have you made about education? Well, it seems to me like the main goal, as you said, is indoctrination, it's revision, and it's basically to erase any kind of historical example of any kind of truth or virtue that might be there and replace it with a sort of op oppressor op oppressed narrative that's always what it comes down to yeah um the the entitlement of our you know our generation and obviously the generations before us that are trying to raise up the generation with this new mindset the mm -hmm. whole idea is that everything that you see in art in history everything is tainted by an oppressor and oppressed reality mm -hmm. right right and so that becomes the underlying assumption i mean how do we get critical race theory. It's obviously the same idea. And, you know, I would say most people I know, when you really take it to the extreme, they start to scratch their head and be like, uh, no. But when you're in 
an institution such as this, where everybody there is already on the bandwagon heading in that direction, then, you know, taking, you know, a leap forward instead of a few steps forward in that direction isn't so bad. So in the future, we're either going to have to see a time of people starting to open their eyes and realize this is all garbage, or we're just going to head so far in this direction that it's basically going to, it's going to eliminate any meaning in this field. There's really going to be no way to objectively state anything about music or art or history, which is obviously the pillar of postmodernism. Yeah. Well, and it's important to say, I'm absolutely certain that if you didn't parody and parrot, really, this ideology, the woke ideology, the revolutionary ideology that assumes this narrative of oppressor and oppressed and absolutely every everything, even sonotiform. But if you had, say, if, if in your responses, you responded with very sincere and rigorous scholarship that attacked these ideas, I don't think you would have passed. It would have, in any case, been a struggle. I think you would have had a, a lot more encounters with the teacher. Absolutely. Um, that, was, that was my experience. And there was always a kind of resentment underlying the tone of the teacher whenever she addressed me. It was, it was bizarre because you're not supposed to any longer. You're not supposed to challenge the teacher in any way. There, there can't be any kind of real dialogue and how dare you challenge the the professor because your job as a student is to be indoctrinated and i should say that by the way this isn't the school that we're talking about is not it's not like the pig farmers school of music out in the sticks somewhere you know in the middle of nowhere this is actually one of the in terms of musicology and music history this is one of the best programs in the world for this subject. Um, and this is what's being taught. This is what's being expected. So let's hear some of the drivel that you wrote. Um, is, are, is there a response that you can read that gives us an idea of the kind of uh, satire that you passed off as scholarship? Yeah, absolutely. This is my second response. I received a five out of five on this one. And it's called, The Girl Must Be Mad. So for a little context, in class, we had discussed how in most opera settings, the female characters are portrayed as mad. And this is a very sexist reality. And so I decided to take this and run it into the ground. So here we go. There is nothing more misogynistic than the assumption that a woman's seemingly irrational struggles with intense negative emotion are nothing more than irrational struggles with intense negative emotion. Furthermore, the portrayal of said characters by none other than the alpha male impersonators as an extra layer of mockery that ought to leave the audience completely frustrated and at a loss as to what is the reality of the situation. With the absolute shattering of underlying principles of beauty, coupled with an intense desire for melodrama, the musical and textual portrayal of the story can soon become far too trite for anyone with their head on straight to think it sane. This, of course, is the irony of it all, that those claiming something or someone to be insane often are deranged and biased beyond measure in and of themselves. Of course, this sexist mindset takes the outside and apparent form of an interest or fascination, as seen in operas throughout music history. According to Elaine Showalter, 
Madness became a defining characteristic of female characters in operas and was a method by which to channel female sexuality. Examples of this dramatic technique are ubiquitous. Look no further than Strauss's Salome, which links sexuality to madness in a uniquely explicit fashion. Her ordering of the execution of John the Baptist and the sexual fantasy with his severed head, which soon follows, can only be attributed to Strauss's utter obsession with the misogynistic tendencies. His portrayal of such an independently and intensely sex-obsessed female archetype can only be explained by his hatred of feminism and female independence. This type of objectification, defined by overwritten female dominance, is, even in a slightly more humanistic culture than that of the Baroque and classical periods, a defining characteristic of true woman hatred. Furthermore, Herod's patriarchal authority being manifested in the form of framing Salome for his vicious, sexually liberating act is, as the professor states, quote, an act of extraordinary hypocrisy, end quote. To live a life of male dominance and then turn around and blame one's daughter for relieving sexual and emotional tension in this way is nothing short of preposterous behavior, characterized by none other than the tyranny and lack of respect of femininity. This is obviously only a single example of such a pattern in the white male-dominated compositional world. There is far more where this came from, and one can only wonder why such a sex-obsessed, oppressive society would wish to portray women in this manner. Fortunately, many scholars and experts are doing the necessary work to revive the culture to a place of fair representation. We may have reached a point of no return, but we must not lose hope. As Karl Marx once said, quote, they cannot represent themselves, they must be represented, end quote. If women and minorities cannot speak for themselves, we must speak for them. But let us begin to do it more accurately from now on, not in a mocking or loathing manner that can only cause further division and bigotry. It's so ironic. I mean, the the yeah. last sentence, let's, let's not do it in a, in a mocking or loathing manner. <laughs> And you know, I mean, uh, referencing guys like Marx or any of the uh, the Frankfurt School is an automatic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. it gives you automatic bonus points. Um, yeah, which is probably why I got a five out of five. Oh, of course. So I'm I'm curious as to the kinds of feedback and criticism, constructive criticism from your your teachers. I remember you actually managed to correct your professor on one point when she referred, so in this trope of characters, female characters going nuts, essentially she referred to this as nuthouse music. And you you corrected her because she wasn't being woke enough. She wasn't being sensitive to the mentally ill. Well, essentially in my piece, I said in parentheses, although I find this term deeply problematic and offensive to any who may be differently abled in the mind. Differently abled. So of course I made use of as much woke jargon as I could in one sentence which is always a good start. And then she replied and said, nice response. And I agree that I should have used a different term for such institutions. There's a, it's a great tradition. There's a great tradition of, you know, doing these satirical pieces of scholarship that exposes the ideological corruption and the, and the hollowness of scholarship. I mean, Alan Sokol, 
is a is a famous example. I in my freshman year, I wrote a satirical essay and passed it off as a as a real piece of scholarship. I photoshopped it to look like a scan of an old book and sent it to my professor for a Shakespeare class, and it was just absurd drivel. And my professor said, "Oh, that's completely on the money." Um, so it's it's a great tradition, and I'm really glad that you've continued this. I'm not sure. I'm, I've never heard of anyone actually doing an entire semester of turning in satire and getting away with it and getting away with it with flying colors. So I, I think you're you're doing great work. <laughs> you, should, you should keep it up. See see what you can manage next semester. Well, if they don't take me away to prison, I might have to keep it up. <laughs> take you away to the nut houses, eh? That's right. Maybe I'll see this professor there. I don't know. Probably not, right? <laughs> well, at least you'll be in agreement. <laughs> now, let's hear from the other side of things. Recently, I sat down for a brief conversation with a professor of music who considers herself an avowed ally of wokeness. Now, I'm not going to say that the following conversation is satire, but I will say that these days, reality has reached such a point of absurdity that one can no longer satirize it, only report it. The following conversation with Dr. Elizabeth Nincomperi from Dunstan University may or may not be satire, but in full sincerity, everything that she says is either word for word what my own professors have said in the past, or mild paraphrases of them. What is satire, and what is sincerity? In today's world, it could be either. You decide, as you hear from Dr. Elizabeth herself. But first, a brief message from our sponsor. Do you miss wearing a mask? Is your face feeling a little naked? Do you have the feeling that something is missing in your life? Then try Holy Masks, the masks with the holes in them. With Holy Masks, you can have the best of both worlds. Now, breathe freely while feeling safe. Now enjoy the comfort of fresh air and the comfort of conformity. With Holy Masks, you no longer have to suffocate to be anonymous. Why throw away the holy sacrament of solidarity when you can wear a holy mask? Don't wait. Get your holy mask today. So now, joining me to commentate on the previous discussion is a professor of music uh, and musicology at a fine university who takes the opposite side of things. So thank you so much for joining me. Uh, feel free to introduce yourself to our listeners. Uh, hello, uh, my name is Dr. Elizabeth uh, Nincom Perry. Uh, I am a professor of musicology at Dunstan University. Uh, my pronouns are she, uh, her, and hers. Uh, I am a white, a cisgendered a female who is 87% heterosexual. Uh, and my adjectives are, are empowered, uh, strong, and, and able. Um, of course, I, I want to project that I am able. Uh, I, I, I want to admit that to everyone. Although I do have uh, arthritis in my left hand, uh, and I get migraines every Thursday, uh, but otherwise I am very able, and I am willing to admit that I have that privilege. 
Uh, and now my verbs are. Yeah, so so maybe we could uh, we can get to your your verbs uh, in a little bit, um, but uh, but I just wanted to ask you about no, uh, the name. Don't start mansplaining. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you were off to a to a, to uh. a great start. <laughs> uh, no, I, I I just wanted to ask you a question. Actually, um, I mean, basically, just what do you make of it all? The passing off uh, satire and nonsense, really, uh, as serious scholarship in a university setting well i'm not so sure why you why you say that it's nonsense uh of course considering uh, your privilege as as an american a uh, white a uh, cisgendered a uh, heterosexual Christ, uh, christian conservative uh able a uh, middle class male uh oh and 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 you're a cellist too aren't you so so you also have have cello privilege. I, I mean, as as you know, the the cellos are disproportionately uh, given the best solos in an orchestra, as opposed to, uh, say, uh, the didgeridoo. In fact, uh, right now I'm supervising a dissertation by one of my PhD students on on the price gap uh, between violinists and cellists. Uh, for example, uh, cello repertoire is often cheaper than violin repertoire, uh, but also if you think of, of cellos themselves, uh, they're really no more expensive than, than violins, uh, especially in the upper end. So, so with a cello, you don't, uh, you don't pay more for getting more wood and, and things. Uh, so per capita, uh, cellists get more instrument uh, while paying the same. Uh, and so there is an equity imbalance there uh, that, that definitely uh, needs to be addressed. Uh, but of course, returning to, to your original question, the, the point of education is to learn. Uh, and learning means being made aware of our privilege uh, and admitting that. Um, of course, the fact that you that you question this or or say that it's nonsense is itself proof of it. Uh, I mean, if it was false, uh, you wouldn't deny it, would you? Uh, so, so our musical analysis needs to take into account these power structures, and we need to challenge them. That's what we need to be doing as musicians. Uh, at the moment, our tools of, of musical analysis only venerate these, these oppressive structures. Uh, so we need new tools of analysis. Um, after all, uh, Justin, uh, uh, art is nothing uh, but expressions of, of money and power. Uh, that's what art is. Right. Uh, okay, so you wouldn't acknowledge, for example... Um, any objective value or, or substantial value uh, in Beethoven and his work. In other words, isn't it purely deconstructive um, to reduce everything to a re- revolutionary narrative of power versus power, you know? So, Justin, you, you asked about, the, about whether the narratives of current musicology were, were nonsense. Uh, so, so let me answer that uh, a little more technically. Uh, so, so even before this method, uh, quote-unquote, uh, concerns uh, a text in narrative form, uh, double invagination uh, constitutes the story of stories, uh, the narrative of narrative, the, the narrative of deconstruction 
uh, in deconstruction, uh, the apparently outer edge of an enclosure, far from being uh, simple, uh, simply external and circular, in accordance with the with the philosophical representation of of, of philosophy, it makes no sign beyond itself. Uh, towards what is utterly other, I remember the other, um, without becoming uh, double or dual, uh, without without uh, um, itself quote unquote represented, uh, refolded, supposed, uh, remarked uh, within the enclosure at least, and what the structure produces uh, as an effect of of inferiority. Uh, uh, say that again. Um, well, just, Justin, let me let me tell you a story. I, I think I should tell you a story uh, to, to illustrate this. So, um, so this was during my time uh, at, at Cambridge, and uh, and I was sitting outside uh, uh, reading a, a wonderful collection of poetry, and it was on a on a beautiful spring morning. Uh, actually, it, it was really a late summer morning, but I'm in the habit of, you know, when I'm telling stories like this, t- uh, saying a spring morning, because I think there is there is something so symbolic about about a spring morning. Uh, there seems to be something so uh, in- empowering about the emergence of new life and the great uh, feminine of, of nature. Um, you know, when you're telling a story about the past, it is so important that you that you reframe the past into uh, into whatever narrative you're you're currently constructing. Uh, I mean, if you fail to do so, you uh, you fail to to accomplish the one purpose, the one essential purpose of of telling any story about the past. Um, and you and you and you fail to to acknowledge the one truth about the past, uh, and that is that the past is a construction. Uh, history is a construction of our imagination uh, in tandem with, with ideology. Uh, let me say that again. It is a terribly important point. Uh, history is a construction of our imagination uh, in tandem with ideology. Um, you know, I, I used to say uh, our imagination in cahoots with with ideology, but of course there is something uh, particularly distasteful about the word cahoots, uh, particularly the the hoots, uh, which of course uh, conjures owls, and I don't like owls. They they seem to me to have become a, a symbol of the the intellectual bourgeois. Uh, uh, but. Oh, I, I, I've, I'm, I'm sorry. I've, I've lost track of my, of my story. Uh, uh, you were reading a, a collection of poetry. Oh yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, so I was sitting outside and I, I was reading a wonderful collection of, of poetry. My, my own poetry, uh, actually, and it was on a beautiful summer, uh, spring, morning, and, um, and then, and suddenly, like out of the blue, uh, there was a fly. Uh, extraordinary, an extraordinary disturbance, uh, a singular fly uh, buzzing about. Um, naturally, it, it caught my attention, and uh, and then and then there were two, uh, and and then there were three, and and all at once I couldn't uh, focus on on the poem I was reading. And of course, if I if I can't focus on my own words, then something is terribly wrong. Uh, and I have to tell you that it was it was really very awful uh, that the noise unspeakable 
uh, they were they were buzzing about my head, like uh, like I don't know, like miniature Spitfires. I, you 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 would have you would think that I was some sort of pile of uh, a slob at a pig farm, and um, you know, in that moment, uh, in that moment, I could have wished. Uh, the entire population of flies, the entirety of dipteri, uh, wiped out of existence, uh, a genocide of flies, uh, stomped out and squashed uh, every mother's son of them. Uh, of course, if, if, if I'm being uh, politically correct, I, I really should say every birthing person's child of them, but uh, I guess that doesn't have this, the same... Uh, a, a terminological tang. Uh, anyway, uh, I was seized in that moment by a passion. Uh, and once the flies had, had flied away, uh, I realized that genocide is morally conceivable. Uh, I mean, just think that that I uh, and and I, I want you to know that that I am a pacifist. I am a Gandhiist. Um, that I, as a pacifist, uh, could wish an entire population of animals uh, out of existence uh, in one instance. Now, now, just think uh, what conclusions I could come to uh, if, if instead of one instance, it was, it was one year or or one decade. So, so we really need to be taking into account the the temporal normativity of genocide. Um, but it just goes to show that the that the underlying uh, structure of anything uh, is power, and and if we're doing our jobs right as musicians, uh, we need to challenge those power structures. Of of course, as a pacifist, uh, you know I think any expression of power needs to be subverted uh, and challenged, whether that is the the the, the expression of of Nazism or of Hitler. Or you know, for example, Schubert, uh, or or Schumann, or or Beethoven, uh, or or Mendelssohn, or or Brahms, um, or or Bach, or you know, or or Mozart, or uh, or or Verdi, or or. So I so uh, I, I get what you're saying. Um, mm -hmm. So considering this, uh, what do you think should be done about uh, well these power structures? Uh. I mean, would you advocate for knocking them down? Knock them down, absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, whether these are the the oppressive structures of, of say, a sonata form uh, with the, the deeply misogynistic uh, idiom of the oppression of the feminine in the second theme as it as as it's forced into submission uh, to the tonic, uh, or whether it is it is the the power structures of, of say, fascism, uh, uh, they need to be knocked down uh, and subverted. Uh, so everything either has has power or not. Uh, of course, to say otherwise is is to invoke a binary and uh, like the binary of good and evil. Uh, and as as we know, all binaries are are false. Okay. Um, right. And and that's true then. It's it's true that all binaries are false. Yes, absolutely. Well, uh, Doctor Nincomperi, uh, thanks so much for for joining me for a discussion. I've I've enjoyed having you. 
Next, I consulted, for a contrary perspective, uh, Dr. Albert Loomley, uh, joining me from the Cotswolds in England. Hi, pr- Professor Loomley. Uh, th- uh, thanks for letting me call in. So you, you listened to that conversation. I just wondered if you had any opinion that you could offer. Of course, my dear boy, I have an opinion. I've not lived seven decades on this earth not to have an opinion. Um, I, of course I have an opinion. I listen to every word of it. Uh, and my opinion is that it is unadulterated nincompoopery. Uh, the whole business are uh, oleaginous muck. And I would say that uh, I'm not one, typically, to advocate for any kind of destructive measures. But uh, I would say that if by some natural disaster the whole lot of them went sliding into the, the briny sea, <coughs> that I would say good riddance and leave us well enough alone. So you want my opinion? That is my opinion. <laughs> okay, so you so you would agree then that uh, that there is objective value in Beethoven. That uh, that Beethoven is great. Well, what is this? If of course Beethoven is great. Uh, the Pope is also Catholic. Uh, the, the sun also rose this morning. I mean, you 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 made me leave a perfectly uh, steeped and 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 warm a cup of tea to come and speak this absolute drivel to you. What kind of obvious uh, shibboleths would you like me to say next? Eh? I mean, if you want my educated opinion on. Um, on important matters, then you may consult me, but you, in the meantime, are wasting my time, of course. Beethoven is great. What kind of rot? Uh, Is that it? Do you want to know any more? No? Well, then, good day to you, sir, and mind how you go.